You are listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. We want everyone everywhere to have an everyday relationship with Jesus, and we hope that this helps you do just that. Lord, I pray for that reality, for the the mustard seed faith on every campus today that would believe that you are the prize. Lord, would you prove that to be true? For those that are in the room that are, man, they're just trying to muster those words on their lips because it's hard for them to even believe that you could satisfy. Lord, would you prove yourself today? Would you prove yourself to be the all-satisfying God that is worthy of our worship and praise? We, God, say you are the prize. And we're so grateful for what you're doing. And Lord, we're just believing today that you've got something to Share with each one of us. And so, Lord, would you right now, as we have worshiped you, would you prepare our hearts as we continuing worship through the preaching of your word? And, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be ready to receive it because we know your word does not return void. There's a lot of noise in the earth. There's a lot of people talking. But we know your word is an everlasting word, and it will not return void. And so we say right now we're ready to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all say together, amen, amen. Hey, would you lift up a shout and a hand clap and just honor the Lord one more time. Very cool. Why don't you give somebody a high five and you can take your seat on our campuses. Good morning, church. How are we? You doing all right? All right, all right. Some of you guys, uh, your team's won yesterday, I guess, with those shouts. And uh, so grateful to be in church today and just want to... Couple of things. If you got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and you can open it up to the book of First Peter in the New Testament, the book of Daniel three in the Old Testament. First Peter two and Daniel three, and uh, we'll be in those passages in just a moment. I want to celebrate. So many of you guys jumped into groups. We've got a group semester that's just cranked up on all of our campuses. Many of our campuses are talking about some of their groups are filled up, but we still have room. So if you're here today and you're looking to get involved in a group in a Bible study, if you want to say yes to not just coming on a Sunday, but being a part of an everyday community of believers, I want to tell you how you can do that. Right there where you sit, or even watch it online, you can just text groups to 30303. And uh, these, these groups are filling up fast. I want to make sure you get your chance if you're here. I know we've got a lot of college students that are jumping in the semester. I think it's even parents weekend at a couple of colleges. So get into a Bible study. It'll be the very best thing that you do. This is not the message, but it's worth saying. I can tell you this, the very best version of you and I is on the other side of other people. It's on the other side of community. And so the way that you step into that is you've got to, got to, got to get around men and women that'll encourage you, that'll speak life into you, that'll stir you up to love and good deeds. And so we wanna make sure you know about that. So take advantage of jumping in to groups. Um, Here's where we've been. Last week we started a series, an eight-week series. I told you guys this last week, felt like the Holy Spirit as we were in preparation for this series was whispering this into my heart. The next eight weeks for the next 10 years. The next eight weeks for the next 10 years. And then a lot of the stuff that we're covering in this series is timeless truths that are going to help us live out the Christian life in our world today. We said this last week, but I just want to 
give us a little bit of a refresher, one of the realities that we felt like as a teaching team, as pastors, as elders, is that we want to equip you to live in the world that we're in, not just with theological ideas, but with practical handles and frameworks. And this concept of being a citizen is one of the most practical things for you and I to digest and walk out in our world. Paul would say it like this, you and I are called to be citizens of heaven here on earth, And what is a citizen? A citizen is someone whose home is in a certain location. So Paul is saying, though we might be Americans, our citizenship primarily as a Christ follower is in heaven. And so because of that, we're gonna constantly, listen to me, constantly be living in our world in a place of tension. And I wanted to say outside of this message, tension is okay when you're following Jesus, you're going to constantly be feeling like you have a tension in your life. Why? Because you live here as a citizen of heaven, but everything in our world wants you to make it all about this world. Everything in our world, politically, economically, relationally, in our culture, wants us to sell out to being here, that this would be our home, to live our lives, raise our families, build our businesses, work our jobs, go to school like this is our home. Look at me. I want you to know in love, this is not your home. Jesus would say, you're a citizen of heaven. And so Peter writes these words in 1 Peter 2. He writes these words in 1 Peter 2. He says, so beloved, I'm gonna urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that's the world, the Greeks for their context, but the world for ours, keep it honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may seek your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme. Pause. The emperor in this context was Emperor Nero. And so right here in Peter's letter, he says to the church, you need to honor Nero. Now, again, Pastor Dan's gonna talk more about Nero next week, so I'm not gonna go into detail, but here's what I need you to know. Nero was a bad dude, a bad dude. And yet, there is something in the Christian life that still has a way of honoring people that don't act like they're worthy of honor. So what we're not honoring here is their actions. What we're honoring here is the Imago Dei, which is the God in in whose image they are created. Are you with me? And so this puts us in tension. And so Peter writes this and he says, you're gonna honor the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Everybody say, "Will will of God. This is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and then he doubles down and he says, honor the who? Honor the emperor. All right, so this is a different kind of living. 
This is the bottom line for this series, and I want you to write this down. We talked about it last week. The bottom line for the series is that Christians are called to be different, and in so doing this, we will actually make a difference. So the question that we've got to really reckon with is, are we willing? Are we willing to be different? Because if you and I are willing to be different, we will make a difference with this kind of living. In a world that this is going to look completely strange and alien to, if we are living as citizens of heaven, we're going to appear to be sojourners and exiles on earth, not making this place our home, and it's going to be different, and it will make a difference. That's the whole arc of the series, and that's where we were last week. Now, I've got a question. Has anybody moved in the last 12 months? You've relocated, relocated, moved, moved. Okay, okay, all right, okay. Um, the moment in my life that I knew that I was going to save up for an engagement ring and marry my wife was the summer that my girlfriend at the time moved four times in one summer, y'all. Four times. And uh, I moved her all four of those times. We went from college dorm to apartment. She had an apartment she was living in for like a month and then had another, you know how these things work. You have these like three-month contracts and subleases. And we moved, and I say we because I'm about to tell you. Also, I knew that one of my good buddies was gonna be in my wedding if we, we made it through because he helped me move Pastor Riley Cummings. I think he was intern Riley Cummings at the time. He had a pickup truck. And how many of you know if you got a pickup truck, you get invited to moving day, okay? So uh, Riley had a pickup truck and I think he helped me all four of those times move Corey. And every single time we moved, here's what happened. The stuff we moved got less and less and less and less. Because you know what you realize when you start moving? You don't need it, right? You don't need Kelsey when you need it. Like, you know, we better off just put a dumpster right there at the front because all this stuff, you know, that you got like squirreled away in closets and drawers and, and some of y'all are gonna go home and clean your house out today. I'm talking about it and you're, this is, you're getting inspired. But we got less and less and less and less stuff all that whole summer, less and less and less stuff. We were climbing flights of stairs and in Clemson, South Carolina in the heat of the summer, but less and less because it wasn't necessary. Listen to me. This is such a good principle. As sojourners and exiles here on earth, one of the things I want you to know is that you and I, as we're traveling through, there's a whole lot of stuff in our life we don't need. It's just holding us back. We just need to throw it aside. The, the scriptures would encourage us to live as citizens of heaven and travel light. Everybody say travel light. We're called to travel light here on earth. And so I wanna show you how that looks here in the text in just a bit, how we're called to travel light. And here is truth. This means that you and I are going to have to say yes to the tension of living in this world. We're gonna have to say yes to the tension of being tested over and over and over and over again. And we talked about this last week and I'm just reiterating it, underscoring it. Nobody likes taking a test, but everybody loves tested things. So college students, I know there's a lot at the 1115, high school students, how many of y'all have already taken a test this semester? Show of hands, show of hands. So how many of y'all have a test tomorrow? Anybody got a test tomorrow they're studying for? Oh, really, you're going home today to study after this? All right, you, you might have should have been at the nine o'clock, give you more time. No, I'm just kidding, okay, all right. Nobody likes a test, but we all love tested things. Now, if you get a test, what is the very best test that you could ever hope for in college or in in high school, what's the very best kind of test? I've got an opinion on this. It's the right opinion. I'll let you yell out your opinion. What is it? All right, multiple choice. Anybody else? Ah, see, I think multiple choice is a real good one. 
But the very best test is an open book test. An open book test. It's an open book test. You love the professor that says, we're gonna have a test at the end of the week and it's gonna be open book and everybody just smiles at each other, right? And just grins. Can I tell you in the Christian life, we're gonna be tested, but the good news is God is telling us that this is gonna be open book. It's open book. And so question, not rhetorical, if you make a bad grade on an open book test, whose fault is it? Some nervous laughter in here. And so here's the point and the reason that we are in Daniel in the Old Testament and we're in 1 Peter in the New is that the principles that we're gonna talk about today are not just historic, they are historical prophecy which means they happen over and over again. In Daniel, you've got Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the New Testament, you've got Peter and you've got the the early church and you've got Nero and the Roman Empire. And guess what? Here we are and we're in America at the recording of this sermon and we too are taking a test. And the same test that they took 3,000 years ago and the same test that they took 2,000 years ago are the tests you and I are going to take today. And so I wanna give you five tests from Daniel chapter three that you can be prepared for. You can expect them so that when they come, you can grin at your teammates to your right and your left, maybe your family members to your right and your left, maybe your small group to your right and your left because you know the answer to the test because everybody loves having a study guide when it's an open book test. So with all of that stated, can you open your Bible to Daniel chapter three? And these five tests are all lifted out of Daniel 3. And this story is crazy, all right? And so it doesn't need much commentary. Most of you have probably heard it, but here is the test in Babylon that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego step into. It says in Daniel 3, verse one, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and whose breadth was six cubits. That's 90 feet by nine feet, if you wanna know. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects and the governors and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all of the officials of the providence to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before the image that he had set up. Guesses are here that this is like 300,000 people. So think about this crowd gathered before this huge golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse four, and the herald proclaims. Now, herald's not his name. Herald is a what? A herald is a preacher, a, a crier, an announcer. He, what's he proclaim? You people are commanded, O people's nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately, say immediately, immediately, shall immediately what? Be cast into the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people and nations and languages 
fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, pause. I'm going to pick it up in just a moment. This, by the way, is a shadow and a pointer of the end of time. If you look forward in the book of Revelation, specifically Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9, it says that in Revelation, there will be a throne. Jesus will be on it. Everybody will be dressed in white from every nation, tribe, and tongue and language, and they'll all be lifting their worship to him. This is my point because I'm going to show you this. The spirit of Babylon is trying to get you to not be focused on Jesus, but to be focused on man. Okay? And so this is the exact same kind of shadow and pointer to the end of days. And it's back in, you know, Babylon in Nebuchadnezzar's land. And he's trying to get people off. And the spirit of Babylon is trying to get people focused on this. Verse 8, what happens here? It says that therefore at the time certain Chaldeans. Now, what are Chaldeans? These are magicians. These are prophets. These are um, folks that worship other gods that were a part of Babylon, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, these guys are just complete suck-ups, O king, live forever! You king have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace." There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. He's going to name them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Pause. These guys are just biblical tattletales. That's all they are. Nobody likes a tattletale, right? Nobody likes a tattletale. That's who these guys are, all right? Then Nebuchadnezzar is furious. In a furious rage, he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and he says to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And they answered, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately, y'all say immediately? immediately, immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? I love that line because he's about to find out. Who is the God? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said this to the king. Now I have this underlined because I want us to see this. This is the posture of citizens. This is the aim. This is what we're, we're going for. We live in submission to the kingdoms we're in, but we live as citizens of heaven. Watch how these men respond. Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God's or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, 
and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent. And the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Watch this, watch this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not just cast three men into the burning fire? They answered and said, true, O king. He answered and says, but I, I see how many men? I see four. I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the who? Most high God. He's changing his tune. Come out and come here. Then Shad, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The satraps, prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. That's a miracle. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answers and he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and, uh, and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Now watch this. this. This makes me crack up. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. So I don't know if he's saved here, but if he's saved, he's just barely saved, y'all. Okay? All right, so he changes his tune, but then he says, if you don't worship their God, you're going to get torn limb from limb, and that wasn't all. And their houses will be laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, this story is a well-known story. How many of y'all on all of our campuses, you know this story? Show of hands. You knew it. Yeah, you know the story. I want you to see this. This is not just a picture of a story from 3,000 years ago. This is historic prophecy. It is the way by which we are going to pass the test in our lives too. Here's the five tests that these guys took and the five tests that you and I will be taken to. Number one, the spirit of Babylon is going to constantly test you and I on who is our king and kingdom. Constantly. Test number one, who's your king, who's your kingdom? That's, that's what happened here. The announcement went out, get all the leaders, get all the governors, get all those in authority, come out, and I want you to make this about me. Make this about Nebuchadnezzar. Who's your king? Who's your kingdom? They got out in formation. They ordered their world around Nebuchadnezzar, and the same is true for us today. A test that you're taking right now is who are you going to order your life around? Who are you going to order your week around? Who are you going to order your days around? Who are you going to order your college career or your 
working career around? Who is your retirement going to be ordered around? Every single one of us right here and now have a throne in our lives that we are facing and that king is on the throne of our lives and we are facing that king and kingdom. Now, I want to give you a hand because I'm preaching to the choir. I'm so proud of you. And I want you to celebrate this morning that on the very first day of a brand new week, you got yourself out of the bed, you got yourself dressed. If you're a parent, you got your kids ready, you worked through all the craziness of your house, and you got to church. Why don't you go ahead and clap your hands for the people to your right and left that are here today? Listen, it's a big deal because what you're doing when you show up to church is you are ordering your week. And you are aligning who is your king and whose kingdom are you serving this week. And on the first day of the week, you said, Jesus, I'm serving that king and that kingdom. And that tomorrow morning when you wake up, you'll have the temptation to jump on your phone or to jump on the news or to jump into whatever you're doing at work or at school. And you're going to get a chance to answer again. Who will you order your Monday around? Who's going to be your king? Who's going to be your kingdom? So you get up and you make the decision, I'm going to get in the word. I'm going to turn on some worship music. I'm going to order our day and our week and our home around Jesus. You get the chance to answer the question, who is your king and who is your kingdom? That's super practical. No one can answer it but you. You get the chance to order your world. Test number two. We're going to move fast. Test number two. These guys got to answer the question, and the spirit of Babylon will constantly try to put you in tension here. Who will you worship? It's a test of your worship. Who are you going to worship? Now, incorrectly, I think many times, worship, and we think worship is just the songs we sing. Worship is the songs we sing, but worship is actually, check this out, worship is the 24-7, 365 posture of humanity. Look at me. You are an unbelievable, excellent, world-class, elite worshiper. I don't know if you knew that or not. You're like, preacher, I, I just came to church for the first time in a minute. How am I? Worship is not about going to church. Worship is the posture of the human life. Worship is, listen, your quality of worship is five stars. So good, Coach Prime might even recruit you, okay? All right, you are a fantastic worshiper. The question is not how good you are at worship. The question is how good your objects of worship are. You with me? Your quality of worship is excellent. Your quality of objects of worship may not be. And so these men were put to the test, and so are us. Every one of us, we are put to the test day in and day out. What is our worship facing? The word worship just means what do we find worth in? What do we find value in? I'm not going to chase this too far, but I just want you to, if you're looking for what you actually find worth and value in, pay attention to your next seven days. How many minutes of the next seven days do you point towards different things? And at the end of each one of those hours, at the end of each one of those days, at the end of this week, there will be something your life will be pointed towards, something your life will be directed towards, something your Tuesday will be pointed towards. And listen, if you and I are going to say, I am a citizen of heaven, then it doesn't matter if we're going to jobs or we're going to the office or we're mowing our grass or we're wiping noses or we're changing diapers or we're doing laundry. There is always an opportunity for us to have our worth and our worship pointed to Jesus in and through those things. Your worship is fantastic. Your quality of worship, consider it over the next seven days. Your quality is high. The thing on the throne may not be. The next way you can tell 
is if you just watch where your next, I don't know, watch where your next paycheck goes. Because our dollars point to something. They do. It might point to fun stuff, good stuff, excellent stuff, not bad things. But listen, I just, I was convicted of this, that maybe way too many of my dollars are pointed towards Amazon and Jeff Bezos than need to be. Amen? Can I get an amen from anybody? He's getting too many of our dollars when I could redirect some of those dollars and point them specifically to the Lord's work, to what God's doing, to, to seeing kingdom things happen in our world. We're taking a test every single time we Spend a dollar. We're taking a test and we are trying ultimately to look and see and consider if I'm going to be a citizen of heaven, looking like I'm just traveling through here, I'm not trying to make my home here. I'm trying to point my people and my family and my life and my influence toward heaven. We are taking a test of worship. Now, one of the pieces that I want to point out and the reason that we're actually doing this series right now, I need you to lean in is because we are one year out from crazy political season. And we're always going to be in this cycle. But one of the things we felt very convicted of as we prepared and lead our church was that we would be prepared and ready for all of the crazy that's going to turn up over the next 12 months. Now, it never seems to turn down anymore, does it? You know, But I know you know this. We have no idea what's going to pop off this week or next month. Some breaking news, some, some crazy thing is going to happen politically. And I want you to know there is an opportunity, and the spirit of Babylon will try to get you to sell out to the right or to the left. But I want you to see a citizen of heaven can remain ballasted pointed toward the kingdom of God, and you can participate just like you should as a citizen, but not sell out to the kingdom of Babylon. And I want you to be prepared when it comes. I want you to be prepared with your worship. And your worship, your heart, what it's pointed towards, will constantly be trying to, if you're not aware of it, be pointed towards the things of earth, man-centered stuff. We want to be pointed toward King Jesus. And the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did this was fantastic. Their worship got tested, and one of the things that I want you to notice is how honorable they were. They still referred to Nebuchadnezzar as king. They still were honorable towards him, but there was nothing about Nebuchadnezzar that was actionably honorable. He was forcing people to worship. Just side note, not going to chase this rabbit too far, but if you want to see a distinctive in Christianity up and against the other religions of the world, here's one of them. All other religions of the world impose their religion upon you while Christianity is utterly distinct because we don't impose religion. Jesus Christ rather proposes. You feel this? Christian faith is a proposition. Will you receive the love of God? Will you receive the forgiveness of God? He doesn't impose and use force like Nebuchadnezzar. Religions of the world say, you better bow down or you're dead. But instead, the metaphor of the church is like that of a husband and wife. That's why the church is known as the bride of Christ. That's why Jesus is called the bridegroom. That's why he proposes to us and says, will you receive my love? Will you receive my forgiveness? Will you receive my mercy? And so it's a, it's a beautiful distinction and we see it right here in the worship of what Nebuchadnezzar demands versus what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego exemplify. It's a difference. It's a difference. And this leads us to test number three. 
Test number three that we see in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a test of their relationships. It's a test of relationships. Because we don't live in a vacuum. We're called to work this out in relationship. And here's what I can tell you. If you're going to point your life towards King Jesus and you're gonna try as best you can to point your worship towards King Jesus, you are going to get in relational tension. Anybody experienced relational tension over the last couple of years? If you have, say, I, right here, wave at me, wave at me, wave at me. Yes, it's real. And I just wanna say this, it's okay. Relational tension is okay. Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 10 says, don't get it twisted. He didn't actually say it like that. He said, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a what? A sword and to divide. And he spoke about relationships. He spoke about the closest relationships we've got on the planet, husbands and wives, family relationships, loved ones. What was he talking about? He wasn't giving us a green light to get in a whole bunch of arguments and fights. No, he was saying in a very real and hard way, if your loyalties are gonna be pointed towards the citizenry of heaven to the kingdom of God, you're gonna have lines in the sand over and over again in this life where you are gonna have to be agreeably disagreeing with people, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They weren't uncharitable, they weren't nasty, they weren't jerks, they didn't cuss and spit, but they were resolute in their relational stands. And I want you to know, if you're gonna be a citizen of heaven, you're gonna be resolute too. There's gonna be, listen, Christ followers, there's gonna be people that you just are not gonna date. And you say, well, why? Because they don't love Jesus and you do. Come on, married couples, where you at in here? The Bible is very clear. Marry someone that loves Jesus. If you're dating someone that doesn't love Jesus, the, begins, the, the end is already happening. You've got to make your relationships about, founded on and grounded on Jesus. It's a big deal. And so Jesus would say, hey, I didn't come bring peace there. I came to bring a sword. You should not be married to someone that doesn't love me and doesn't prioritize me. And so this is a green light. I'm giving some of y'all permission to have the break-up lunch today, college students. As you go out to lunch, you can say, it's not me, it's Pastor Brad, okay? Blame it on me, all right? They're completely okay with it, completely okay with it. It might be one of the most healthy things that ever happened in your life or in your dating world. You are called to be in relationship at that level of intimacy with people that love the Lord. Your relationships will be tested. The same is true for business. You might have business partnerships. I can tell you this, be concerned if you're entering into partnerships and agreement with people that don't have Jesus Christ as the grounds. The same thing happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did you remember the group of people that were the tattletales? Anybody remember their name? Anybody remember? Who it was the Chaldeans, well done. Do y'all know who the Chaldeans were? Not gonna go into great detail. But the Chaldeans were the same people that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saved from certain death in chapter 2. So in chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It, it completely disturbs him. He says, call together all the Chaldeans and the magicians and the soothsayers and anybody that can see for God. Call them together. I want somebody to tell me what my dream was and interpret it. I know it was important. And they said, okay, King Nebuchadnezzar, just tell us what your dream was. And they said, he says, nope, you'll manipulate me if you do that. If you really are what you say you are, you're gonna be able to tell me exactly what I dreamed and its interpretation. And if you can't do it, I'm killing all y'all. And these guys, these Chaldeans said, are you kidding? No king, no megalomaniac anywhere that we've heard about has ever done this. 
But word got to Daniel. Daniel said, give me a moment to fast and pray and I will both tell you your dream and interpret it. Guess what? He does. And guess who all got saved? All the Chaldeans. And to return thanks in chapter three, they're tattletelling on everybody. What a bunch of really great guys, you know? But let me ask you this. Is this not the relationships we have on planet Earth? One minute you're treated this way, the next minute you're treated that way. One minute you're treated this way, the next minute you're treated that way. That's the way relationships work in Babylon, but that's not the way relationships work in the kingdom of God. We have different kind of compass and relationships are some ways that we will be tested. Fourth, you're going to be tested in your doubts and your fears. They were tested in their doubts and fears. They called them before the king. He stands them up right there and said, I'm going to give you a second chance. If you don't fall down and worship me, I'm going to turn this thing up so hot and you're going to be thrown into it. And they lovingly say, king, no dishonor. We just are not going to dishonor God. And so we will dishonor man at the expense of dishonoring God. By the way, green light, Christian, for that. I will worship God and hold him highest in all my world. And so he said, all right, we'll see about that. Turns it up seven times. Just so anybody that likes these kind of numbers, um, anybody like a fire pit, fire pit, fire pit, fall, fire pit? Uh, fire pits in the fall burn wood about 200 or so degrees. Do you know how hot you have to have a fire to melt down a 90-foot statue of gold? 2,000 degrees. And so this furnace was the actual gold furnace they had used to make the statue. So we're not talking about 200 degrees. We're not 2,000 degrees of heat cranked up seven times. And the big linebackers that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had told to grab these boys that go to throw them in, they die. These guys go in the fire full of doubts and fears. I want you to know in following Jesus, it is okay to have doubt. But you need to know where to take your doubt. And as you have doubts and as you have fears, take them to Jesus. Take them to the Lord. You're going to have doubts in life. You're going to have fear in life. You're going to have, because you're not going to know the future. Take them to the Lord. These guys did, and they honored God and said so crazily, we're going to worship God who can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship God. And so now their fifth and final test was put on display. This is the test of their actual life. You and I are going to be tested, and we're going to be tested with our lives. Now, I know where we are in the world today. We're in South Carolina, and in 2023, I want you to understand something. I, I really do believe we have never lived in a better place and at an easier time in all of known human history to follow Jesus than right now. Think about this, not hyperbole. It's never been easier to follow Jesus than it is right now in this city, and you're in in this state that you're in. Never been easier. So if you think that it's gonna get any easier, it's not. This is as easy as it gets. And so one of the good things that our Lord's trying to do is to prepare us so that when temperature does get turned up in life, when culture wars do crank up, when things start to happen politically, when things do seem to get darker and darker, that simultaneously while things get darker and darker, the people of God get brighter and brighter and stand out in the midst of the fiery trial. That's what you were intended for. And that's what they said yes to. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Who showed up in the furnace with them? Anybody? Who showed up? Jesus. This is called a Christophany. It's an image of Christ in the Old Testament, a, an epiphany of Christ. Jesus shows up in the fiery furnace with them. 
and they walk out of the fiery furnace and the only thing that was burned up in the fiery furnace was their bonds that they were thrown in there with. Those are the only things. Not their hat, not their garment, not their fit, nothing else was burned up. They didn't even have smoke on them. They come walking out and just like that, the whole world shifts on its head and Nebuchadnezzar starts to give glory to God. So I need you to feel this. What would it look like for us as a people to say yes and be prepared for the tests that are coming our way every single day? Tests of king and kingdom and worship and relationship, tests of doubts and fears, tests of our own lives. What would it look like for us to say yes to the fire, ultimately so that we might give a testimony? Because you and I can't give testimony if we don't first have tests. We have to say yes to test if we wanna be able to say, I have a testimony. And so now, look how Peter describes this for us, and we'll be done. Peter describes this in 1 Peter 4. He says, Beloved church, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to what you? To test you. Don't be surprised. As though something strange were happening. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Leave this up here for a moment. What was big brother Peter trying to get us to understand? You and I are gonna go through fires in life. We're gonna go through tests and it's actually through this test that God purifies us and he brings all of us together and that we are building way more than a 90-foot golden statue, we, the people of God, are building a new city that shines bright and we are purified, our motives, our attitude, and we point to the kingdom of God to come. This is what we've got to say yes to. But listen, one of the truths is we as a people of God in America evangelism we have gotten so good at getting enough of God to get the feels in our life, but we keep our arm's distance of God for God to form us into a new man or a new woman so often. Am I, am I telling the truth right now? So often we have gotten so exceptional at coming into the doors of the church to get enough of God, to, to feel his presence, to feel some tingles on our arms and maybe to cry a little tear, but we keep him at a distance when it comes to actually dealing with the real stuff in our life that he wants to burn away and purify the addictions, the mindsets, the selfishness, the me-centeredness, and God loves us enough to continue to let us take test after test after test because he wants to burn away all of those things in our life that won't matter in the end. And he loves you enough to discipline you is what he tells us. And so what if we recognize the tests that are coming? We said yes to the test. We said yes to being a people purified. We would be, like Peter says, we would be able to declare to the world around us that there is a God who will join us in our fire. He is actually past the fiery furnace. And so one day in eternity, all of us will be standing before God in judgment and we will have our Christ beside us saying, I have taken care of all of their sins. I'm with them in the fire. And the Bible actually says, we Christ followers, this is in Corinthians, will pass through the flames and we will not be burned and we will live in eternity in a new city with our Lord. That is the gospel good news of Jesus. If you'll receive that this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Can I invite you to your feet on all of our campuses?
And as you're standing, I want to just look at you and ask you a question. What tests are coming at you? Maybe, maybe some of the tests that are coming at you, we in America have the ability and the tendency to just say, I don't want to take that test today. I don't want to take that test. We've got, we've got enough resources in our pocket. We've got enough comforts in our life. We can just say, I don't want to take that test today. And I want to invite you by the power of Jesus and his victory on the cross to no longer sidestep tests, but to step into the fires of life and to say yes to the test because it is necessary if we're going to show Jesus in our world. We cannot pursue comforts all the time if we're going to live out a kingdom down reality in the Babylon of our world. So I'm going to pray for us and worship teams are going to come. Pastors are going to come and we're going to create some ministry time for us to be able to do a little bit of business before we leave the buildings today. And for some of us, I think perhaps we need to just come and say again, I need to declare again, God, you are what my life's about. You are my king. You are my one I worship. You are the one that I'm focused on. Help me. And so we'll, we'll take this opportunity to do that on all of our campuses. Father God, we thank you for the truth that we've read today. And Lord, as we have read your word, your word is reading us even now. Your spirit is reading us. And so Lord, would you encourage us, convict us, motivate us, give us the confidence we need to step out and to say, I wanna get real about this thing in my life that needs to be burned away. I want to get real about owning this mindset or this addiction or this proclivity I've got. It's sin. It doesn't belong. I don't need to carry it anymore. And so, Lord, would you allow us by your grace and with your mercy to step into this afresh as we worship you this week, as we put you on the throne of our hearts and our lives. Would you be glorified as we respond to your preached word now? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, Anderson Room, just talking to y'all now. Our ministry teams are here to serve us communion. If you're a Christ follower, we want you to come and receive that. But here's what I felt in the preparation for this time. One of the things that they did in Daniel 3 is they fell down before Nebuchadnezzar when the music started playing. He wasn't God. He wasn't worthy of worship. He wasn't worthy of praise. But how many times, my hand is up, do we walk into a church gathering and the music is playing and the truth is being sung and we have a resurrected Savior, but we look like we're just a whole bunch of just like stoic, hands in our pocket, waiting for the service to get out, Christ followers. I want to free you up today that as our worship team comes, maybe today you step out of your aisle and come down to the altar and take a knee. Say, I'm not going to bow to the Nebuchadnezzars of this world. I'm going to bow to King Jesus. Maybe right where you are, balcony floor, you turn around and you, you turn your chair into an altar. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the what? He gives grace to the humble. Man, God's got grace for you today. Let's humble ourselves Maybe you're walking through a fire. Your family's walking through a fire. Your marriage is going through a fire. Your kids are going through a fire. Come and take advantage of the prayer teams that are here. They would love to pray with you and encourage you and ask the Lord to walk with you through the fires, not around. We have a good shepherd that says that he will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. So let's stop leaning into an escapist mentality and say, God, I want to walk through whatever you've called me to walk through for your glory my joy, and the world's good. Let me, let me pray, and then you guys feel free to move too. Father God, so in here in Anderson, would you give us the courage and the confidence to move?
and put you on the, the throne of our heart again to ask for forgiveness again, to receive you again this week. We love you, Jesus. And we say yes to the fiery tests that come our way. Help us, God. We need your spirit to carry us through. We believe you're the good shepherd that will carry us through. We follow your lead now, King Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. Make sure to visit our website at newspring.cc for more content, including videos, articles, and devotionals to help you have an everyday relationship with Jesus. Or plan a visit to one of our campuses across the state of South Carolina.